Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Jeremy Williamson. Jeremy is the head of primary school at Genesis Christian College in Brisbane, which as uh, listeners will know is where I'm based. I'm still waiting on my sponsorship from Tourism Queensland because I am always talking about how glorious it is here in Brisbane and Jeremy can back me up on that. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. Thanks, Jono. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to chatting and uh, uh, and getting to hear a bit of your story. Even though we know each other outside of this podcast, it's always fun getting to hear mm. people's stories. So first of all, for our listeners who may not know anything about Brisbane or Genesis or uh, may not be educators, tell us a bit about your role um, as as head of, uh, head of primary and uh, a little bit about Genesis Christian College. Yeah, sure. So... Um, head of primary school, so we, we are a, a, a college, a Christian um, college, which is prep to year 12. Uh, we're in the north side of Brisbane. We have about nearly 1,600 children at the school. And in the primary school, which I oversee, uh, there's around 770 children. So there's a head of primary school, there's a head of secondary school, uh, and there's uh, what you'd probably call an executive principal, uh, Paul Sterling. He oversees the whole organisation uh, in my role. So like I said, I, I oversee the primary school, I oversee the educational, operational um, matters of, of the primary school. I also have in my particular portfolio um, the childcare centres. Uh, it's called Little Genesis. And um, I also oversee the out-of-school hours care business uh, as well. So we have, um, we're a big primary school um, <laughs> in, uh, in the suburb called Bray Park on the north side of Brisbane. And and um, if you imagine a primary school, with this probably, goodness me, in um, across the three parts of my portfolio, there's probably, you know, 130 to 150 staff um, <laughs> between permanent full-timers and the casuals who we have various people who oversee um, that. Genesis uh, Christian School, we're around 30 years old. This is our 31st year of operating, actually. And we were birthed by the Bray Park Community Church um, back in that time. Um, we're an independent organisation. We're run by a college board and a senior leadership team, which I sit on the senior leadership team, along with uh, two other gentlemen I mentioned before. We also had a head, have a head of teaching and learning. Um, director of financial operations and a head of college operations. So that's my number one team. And um, I get to come to work every day in a Christian organization, which I love dearly um, because I get to be who I am as a Christian and as an educator in um, a really wonderful community in this context here. And my family comes to school with me as well. I have two daughters who come to school. They're in primary school with me. And it's kind of funny. I'm, <laughs> I'm their, their principal and their dad. And 
that has its benefits and downsides. I guess they'll tell you more about that if you ever get to interview them, Donna. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's uh, it's really cool that you get to be, uh, you know, dad and principal for your daughters. But like you said, also uh, unique. Mm. Um, I think there's you always hear. I've had some people on the podcast actually whose parents were principals of schools, and it's funny sometimes it's. Oh, it was it was amazing. Other times, oh, I found it a bit challenging. So I think it depends on the context and the child and the uh, and the school. Genesis is an amazing school. I always chuckle because there's other parts of the world where our schools here are are, are massive. You know, to hear that you have um, as a head of uh, head of primary that you have 130. You know, there might be 130 staff across your portfolios. Is um, <laughs> for some for some mm-hmm. people is is uh, is mind blowing, and then other parts of the world where that's probably pretty normal. So, um, but this is about uh, you. I'm really keen to to hear a bit of your story, and I know listeners love hearing some of those moments mm-hmm. that really shaped you becoming the person and the leader you are today. So even as far back as childhood, uh, tell us a bit of uh, a bit of your story, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I grew up on the north side of Brisbane, proud Brisbane boy. Grew up in a little suburb called Sandgate on the water. Now, um, if you want to go and buy a house in Sandgate these days, you're probably not going to afford it. But back when (laughs) I was a boy, um, that was the real um, blue-collar working-class suburb. Mm. You know, we we grew up, um, we're a hard-working family, but we were not rich by any means, but my parents um, were, were, um, were... passionate about education, to be honest, um, not because, um, well, mum's quite well educated. Dad um, left school, you know, left home and it was 14, to be honest, worked on a farm, but wow. they have always been massive readers. So we never had much money, but what we did do every Friday afternoon was go on a family um, outing to mm-hmm. the Sandgate Town Hall Library. <laughs> and we would, as a family, borrow books and um so my whole family's avid readers and that was um a really big thing for me so i'm a a massive book lover to this day and some of my children actually um just um massive book lovers as well i went to one of the local state primary schools and this all ties in actually to what why i do what i do today um so i was um just a little kid who was probably destined to become you know, another blue collar worker, just like um, my family. Um, but I had parents who were very insistent on giving um, us kids the best. And I got um, mm. given a trumpet when I was nine years old. I was in grade five in primary school and got given a trumpet and just happened to figure out how to play it Yeah, um, pretty quickly. And, and it dawned on me that this was the thing that I really loved. And I had a wonderful teacher back then by the name of John Adams and he was one of the local music teachers and he took me under his wing and encouraged me and um, I just happened to find the thing that I was good at and um, I practiced really hard and and it ended up being the thing which took me through school and um, everything I loved in life was music and played in orchestras and and that and I ended up ended up first studying at the Queensland Conservatory of Music. I studied uh, a Bachelor of Music in classical trumpet, and had my heart and life set on being a professional musician. And um, yep, that was um, that was fantastic. Um, I actually got a offered doing it to do a job 
in my third year at the conservatorium, um, just tutoring trumpet at a, um, one of the local private schools. And um, by a gentleman called Phil Davis, who was one of the lecturers at the conservatorium, is also working at the school. And I, I got this job and um, I didn't really know how to teach, <laughs> to be honest. And I did my best, but I found I really enjoyed it. Um, and that was probably the time in my life when one of the pastors from my church said, hey, Jeremy, what are you going to do when you finish at the conservatorium? And mm. I said to him, well, I'm going to be a professional musician and I'm going to tour the world and I'm going to do all this. Yeah. And he said, have you ever thought about teaching? I think, I think you, um, this might be a calling on your life from God. And um, I went, okay, well, let's see what happens. And that calling felt and grew stronger through my last couple of years at university. And I thought, this is great. I want to, I want to do this. So I then went and I got a job. I got a job teaching music full time. And I, at the same time, I um, studied education, got my bachelor of education whilst I was working full time and, and um, wow. ended up becoming a school teacher. Um, that was some 20 plus years ago. And um, that, that's how I got into education. And I, I was initially a, um, a music teacher for, for a lot of my life. And um, I've also taught in high school, taught in primary school. And um, why I, the transition from that to being the head of a primary school is an interesting one. Mm. So um, how, how do I explain it? And again, I, I was at a point in my career where I've been teaching and I've been, been leading different aspects of school for some time. And um, I met one of, one of my principals at a, at, a, at a school. We were living in Tasmania at the time, actually, in Hobart. And he was uh, the deputy there. He was an ex-art teacher. And if you meet principals, um, it's not very common that you meet principals who um, were an art teacher or a music teacher or one of the, you know, one of, one of the, the performing arts. And, and often principals have got, you know, strong backgrounds in mathematics or English yeah. or a lot of PE teachers become very good principals. And um, I just really felt that um, the next call of my life was into school leadership. And I thought, no, it, 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 so I, I'm a big champion for the performing arts in schools. And I thought if I can, I can either stay doing that or I could get into a position where I could influence that. In yeah. school. So I went and studied um, a master's um, degree in education leadership. And um, then I got my first deputy role uh, at a school. And um, from there, I then got this role as a head of primary school at Genesis Christian College. Yeah, incredible so story. So that's how I've kind of wound up in this chair. Yeah. I was literally going to ask about whether there are many. I'm just trying to think of other school leaders who've taken a similar path, and I can't think of many. Have you found that, like you said, that there aren't that many school leaders who've come from music, like as a music teacher yeah, sort of yeah, starting point? Mm, there, there's not many. Um, there's two that I know of. Yeah. And what I love about when I listen to them speak and their vision is there's a there's an affinity affinity that I have with them immediately because I've, I'm a musician. Um, 
as a musician, you, I, I think, I mean, you're a musician as well, Jono, you, you, you think a certain way, you think um, quite broadly and detailed at the same time. You also think quite creatively mm. um, as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, a lot of people think musicians have got their, their heads in the clouds and because they were naturally gifted and all of those kind of lovely romantic notions that you see in movies, but the reality is to become a world-class musician, you're going to commit your life to a very disciplined, dedicated approach to practice, Yeah. right? To learn the science of your instrument. You're going to study a, a conservatorium degree. Mm-hmm. You're, going to, you're going to practice a minimum you know, three, four, eight hours a day. I had friends who would practice eight hours a day because wow. that was the job. That was what they had to do on their instrument to become everything they wanted to be. So you're going to study the, the, the absolute craft of being a musician whilst at the same time having to express yourself creatively, emotively uh, in performance. So you've got this wonderful blending of that technical and creative side in your art form and the principals who I have spoken with who have that background of music, I can see that translate into the way they lead and and, and into the way they vision their organisations mm. as well. And I, I see some really creative, wonderful ideas come out of musicians who lead in other walks of life. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how you mentioned that because you do, I do, we all know the creatives who uh, do live in the clouds and need other people with structure to help them, uh, true. But yeah. you're right, great musicians. And, and I love... I think it's um, oh, what's uh, what's his name? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell in his books, Tipping Point, or I think it might be Outliers. He talks about this idea of the ten thousand hour Outliers. rule, and I love the story of the Beatles yeah. about how everyone looks at the Beatles and goes, "Oh, they're just so talented, they're so creative," <laughs> and then you read the story about how they spent this year in Germany. I think it was where they would, um, for the best part of a year, just yeah. be on stage together for hours and hours on end uh, as a band. And I love that because it's um, even the most creative, artistic people that, that we respect, when you see their success um, and their influence, it, it comes back to that mixture of creativity and discipline and hard work. And I think that should be encouraging for all of us because uh, I know for me, I, 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 I'm not one of the Beatles, and, uh, but... I can, um, whether it's music or leadership, I think it's good to know that even the Beatles spent a year spending thousands of hours in Germany. And the question for me is, okay, I may not be able to change the talent or the gifts that I have, but I can choose to invest the time and discipline to actually, uh, you know, spend the, invest the hours to, to be a great, hopefully a great leader and to have an influence on people. Absolutely. Leadership is a discipline. And um, it's probably the, um, well, that's the title of one of the, the, the most influential books that I've read in the last couple of years, which yeah. is Stephen Scott's The Fifth Disciplines and um, mm. it's got a recent version, uh, Ethics Trump Power. But um, leadership is a discipline first and it's a discipline of yourself yes. first. Um, there's, there's lots to go into and unpack in that in that book but um getting yourself right is a starting point um 
is the first thing you need to do before you can ever go and lead anyone else or help anyone else is the crux of the matter with um, this particular book. I love uh, your musical background and not only background, but it's, it's in who you are. Uh, and so I, I, I love focusing in on what people are passionate about. And we don't, when we chat, we often talk leadership, but yeah. we don't talk that often about music. And so I want to know what, what have you learned from being a, you know, a, a disciplined uh, trumpet player for years playing in bands and, you know, at, at high levels, studying at the conservatorium, mm. you know, in, incredible things you've done with trumpet. What, what have you learned specifically from that part of your journey that you've been able to apply in leadership? Yeah. Yeah, there's um, there's probably two specific stories I wouldn't mind that I could share on that. The, the first one, that one was from my time at the conservatorium and another is from conversations I've had with famous musicians. Um, so the first one is my, my, my own story at the conservatorium, which was I, I had done really well in life as as a student and i and i got to the university and everything was going really well i i auditioned and got into some 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 really great orchestras and got to tour overseas and, and do lots of fun things and and won a major competition in my playing and i knew there was something that just wasn't quite right and um i started to to research research and when i say wasn't quite right wasn't quite right in my technique of how I played the instrument. So I started to do my research and became more and more convinced that there's something major I needed to fix. I spoke to um, a number of um, prominent trumpet teachers in Australia and overseas, and, and, and most of them said, no, don't do it, don't do it. That is a ridiculous idea. You should not do anything. You're, you're doing really well. <laughs> Just keep doing what you're doing. But there was one guy who said, you know what, you're absolutely right, Jeremy. If you want to get to where you want to be, you need to fix this thing. And I knew, I just knew it because there was, there was mm. two things I couldn't do. Yeah. And I knew why I couldn't do them. And this gentleman, um, he was living in Perth at the time. He now lives in New York. But I remember speaking to Graham and him saying, no, you're absolutely right. You need to fix this thing and I'm going to help you do it. And he gave me some tips on the phone and then, I sought out some specific people to help me fix this thing. So I went from the top right down to the bottom I was of my ability. So I almost had to pretty much start to learn how to play the trumpet again. So I went from winning the major competition at the conservatorium to being the worst player there, <laughs> right? Wow. And, I, and, and, and it was my choice. And... What that does to, I mean, I was 18 years old at the time. And what that does to a young person who has invested their whole life into something, has a dream to do something with it, and their identity, identity is so intimately attached to that, it shattered my world. I, um, I considered quitting. I considered joining the army. I spoke to my mom. I said, I'm going to join the army, mom. She said, don't be ridiculous. Um, but then I knew I had to fight. I knew I had to do everything in my power to get through relearning how to play. And it, I had a wonderful trumpet teacher who believed in me and took me through that process. 
And can I say, Jono, it probably took mm. um, two and a half years to get there. So between my <laughs> first year at the conservatorium and then I fought nonstop until my fourth year at the conservatorium where everything just started to get good again. Wow. And I started to, to really had I, I'd figured it out and I didn't know how long it was gonna it was gonna take. When I first started, I thought I'll have this fixed up in three months. <laughs> it, and it just didn't fix it. It took so long and I didn't know how long it was gonna take, but I just kept on going. I just kept on battling. The whole thing was a, a physical battle as much as it was a, a mental battle yeah. to to get back in my game. So it took all the way up until my fourth year there when it, it all started to come back together and I could really play again. And I started playing in some of the, you know, some professional orchestras and um, and, and started earning, you know, somewhat of a living playing again. I thought, well, wow. this is great. I can do it. And that's when I decided to become a school teacher, funnily enough. So <laughs> that, defi- that defining thing for me was I had mm. to, my back was against the wall and I had to fight and it went on for a very, very long time. So, um, that's um, that's one thing that I've had to bring up to my leadership, which yeah. has been that um, that endurance and never giving up attitude to always, you know, because I mean, you don't know when it's going to finish, but the, the issue you're dealing with, but the tenacity to see something through to the end, um, I think was formed through that experience. I think when you tell that story as well, um, people people who know you know how much of an entrepreneurial innovative um educator you are in terms of how you think and i i love that story because it's it reminds me of that even when you were uh you know pursuing music full-time there was that same approach that went i have to find the best way even if it's even if 90 percent of people are saying no don't worry about that I, i need to find you know there's a there's must be a better way and i think that's something uh, unique about you uh, one thing i have to ask because it popped into my head if it's not a trade secret i know there'll be people yeah. wondering what it was you learned or had to change as <laughs> just because you said it and i'm like oh i have to ask can you say what 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 was the change you had to make as a trumpet player yeah yeah so the try so in musician speak it was my embouchure your embouchure is yeah that's a french word for how you hold your lips so where the mouthpiece of the trumpet's positioned on the lips, I had to mm-hmm. drastically change the way um, that happened. So the, the, people think the trumpet's the instrument. The actual instrument is your embouchure. It's that, that's like your uh, vocal cords buzzing against each other. Yeah. Where your lips buzz. And that's, that's where the, the, the sound production, that's where, it, that's where it starts. That's so cool. That's a big change. Yeah, I can see why you said that's, that changed everything. And then you had to re, almost relearn the whole instrument which i i love that's such a great story you're right that does apply to to leadership i feel like i had to do that um uh in terms of learning to cast vision and build a team but it it wasn't like i was i learned i learned to to change it all because what i was doing was not working and i went wow there must be a better way just being being good at my job people aren't just following me and that was started me on my journey but i certainly felt like i was relearning things because I thought there must be a better way. So I really resonate with that. And um, you said that uh, there was another story that came to mind, if you can think of what that is. Is there another story from being oh, yeah. uh, a musician that you wanted to share? Absolutely. To, to, to summarise the last story, though, I would just say that the lesson that I learned was um, 
to stick it out when when something really really tough happens and in, in my job if, it, if you, anyone who's listening who does a similar role you'll know that sometimes it's very lonely and sometimes the jobs are really hard and um it you just really have to be the person where the buck stops with you and you've got to see it through to the end um so that's the lesson for me with that one the second lesson that i learned from the music industry has been um there's great people out there who a lot of people look at and think are great people, great musicians. And some of those are really good people and some of those are not good people. And um, the ones who are the most inspiring um, on that stage in, in, in that, you know, when, when you're talking around those people who've, who've spent their life to be incredibly gifted, dedicated musicians who are at the top of their craft and, 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 very well known um it always pays to be a really good person who um is humble enough to to speak to the people that don't know backstage is humble enough to share their gifts with people yeah um, and humble enough to just be a really kind person firstly and when i consider some of the people i've met who you know many people would think are famous people um you always remember really fondly the, the really kind people the really good people and they're the people who i would speak to again despite who they might be mm. in their sphere um if i was going to connect with them again i'd want to go and talk to them because they're a good person to start with yeah um, yeah that's, and i think in that's interesting leadership hmm. that, that's the person ultimately that, that i want to be on you know you've got things to do and you've got an agenda you've got you got you've got to work through you might have a strategic plan you might have massive projects you've got to do but First and foremost, like you've, you've got to do your best to be a kind person and a good person to everyone you meet, because they're the people who will speak about you beyond that meeting. Um, and so that's what I try and do. Not everyone likes you in leadership. That's that's one of the big lessons you've got to learn as well. You're gonna you do your best to 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 be the the person that God's got you to be, but ultimately, mm. um, there will be people who like you, people who don't like you. And yep. I, I take um, great heart in the fact that not everyone liked Jesus. I mean, he was a, I mean, he was God, right? Mm. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> he, there were people who, who struggled with him. Um, so yeah, I do my best to, to be the best person I can be. He even had one of his leadership team who didn't make it, <laughs> which I think <laughs> is, um, well, I think it's encouraging as a leader because sometimes we feel like, oh, you know, every, we're responsible for every person on our team making it. But no, I think we're responsible yeah. for um, loving them and being kind and investing in them and giving them every opportunity. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, I, I, I agree with what you said there. One thing yeah, I love... Um, I, I love that concept. Mm. Yeah, sorry, you go, Jeremy. Go yeah, I love that concept of of um, I, 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 when I think about leadership and and my team and um, the the people who I are blessed to work with. Um, I often think about that concept about who's the leader that they need right now. I mean, I've got my natural proclivities. I have I'm an INTJ personality type, which resonates with some and doesn't resonate with some, and that's okay. 
um, you are who you are, but there's also when you're called to do a particular job where you have numerous amounts of personalities and characters in um, your organisation, my job is to be the leader that they need right there. So I might have to do things which don't come naturally easy to me, but if that's who they need me to be, um, that's really important um, that I yeah. learn the skill of um, of being able to do whatever that is. Um, am I a naturally uh, one of my things? I, I I'm a very task driven person. I'm a very visionary person. I like to create things. Um, I'm not really great at sitting down and writing a card where I write beautiful thoughts of thankfulness to someone. Now. What, probably because you know they're, they're wonderful things to get, but that's probably not the thing that I, I really think much about. I really appreciate people, really love people. I'm not a great person in putting that down in writing, but I know there's people who really need that, and mm. it's really um, that's their love language for for want of a better term. Um, the onus yeah. is on me as the leader to be disciplined enough to learn how to do that well, and do it as a heartfelt thing, not just be a professional card writer, be the person who writes that and does it with meaning. Um, it's one yeah, of the best skills you can mean. learn, isn't it? How to, um, you know, I had uh, Dr. Bob Nelson on the podcast who's sold 5 million books about employee appreciation. And I love the focus yeah. of his life and his career, which is how do we make people feel appreciated? How do we make people feel valued? And I think if as a leader, if we can learn, like you said, the hardest thing. So for me, I'm the opposite of you. Like I'm very strong in words. So what comes naturally to me is words, words, words that comes naturally to me with others. But in, you know, yeah. if you think yeah. of the five love languages, which is a great um, framework to understand your team, um, you think of gifts, you think of acts of service and there might be someone on my team and I'm giving them all these words. I, you know, I'm writing the cards. It comes very naturally to me. I'm doing that. But the question for me might be, well, well, what does it look like for me to grow in how intentionally I spend quality time with some of these people or how do I use gifts? Or And that's yeah. the challenge, isn't it? How do we uh, how do we find ways to look at the people we're leading and, and find ways to value and appreciate them? If you can become an expert in that as a leader and grow in that, it's one of the most, mm -hmm. um, one of the most powerful things you can invest in, I feel. Yeah, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. And it, I'll, t I'll tell you another story. A, a former principal um, of mine from years ago told me the story. And it's, it's his theory of who becomes a school teacher. And um, this guy is a bit out there. I love him. But I hear these, some wonderful theories. It's theories of who becomes a school teacher. And um, he says, you know, most people who become school teachers are people who loved going to school. All right. They, they went to primary school, they loved their teacher, they loved learning that way, and they, and, and they went to high school, they just loved going to high school, loved being part of the school community, doing the school things, living their life by a timetable and checklists and doing their homework. And so they studied education, and they went to university, which is essentially another school, and then they became a school teacher. And there's research out there that says that... Um, I, don't, I can't remember which one it is, but there's a particular Myers-Briggs personality type, which when you analyze school teachers, 
so many school teachers are this particular personality type, right? And so what you'll find in our organizations is that there's so many school teachers think so similarly that they are, they're very um, similar in their outlook on life, similar, similar characteristics, similar love languages, they relate in similar ways. And um, that's a great thing. But you've also got to consider the children in our care. Not every child who goes to school is going to be a school teacher when they're older. There's going to be those who hate going to school. There's going to be those who mm. um, are daydreamers in classrooms. There's going to be those who become tradespeople, mechanics, um, bankers, who don't resonate with the schooling system. But um, we've got school systems that are so full of people who just loved going to school. So they became a school teacher. So I really like the concept of um, having a diverse workforce mm. in your school. That's yep. what I think about um, our primary school. I love teachers who have studied something else first um, or who have had a different career first because they bring a diversity of thought and personality type uh, that really adds to your organisation. It really adds to a child's experience of school too. So uh, I consider a couple of um, our staff yeah. at primary school here. I um, consider one gentleman, he was... Um, he was, a, I think he was a, a draftsman or an architect. He worked in industrial design prior mm. to becoming a year one teacher, right? You've got to meet this guy. The way yeah. he thinks, the way he crafts his um, his lessons, the, the way he, he relates to children is is so wonderful and unique. It's because of the of his background and kids love it. They, they, they they can relate to that in a different way and a different sense of kids like that. I think of um, someone else um, who studied business, didn't want to be a school teacher, but studied business first. So she comes to the organization with a really different approach um, to a more of an entrepreneurial approach to how she designs the curriculum, how she designs lessons, a very um, businessy approach to um, organizing her team. And I really love it. And mm. um, so, I think having a, a diversity in your workforce is really good. I, um, that's why the onus is on us as leaders in schools to learn how to relate to a, yeah. um, a diversity of people. And I guess for myself, I mean, I didn't study education first. I, I was one of those kids who really didn't um, care that much about school. Let me rephrase that for all of the educators listening. It just wasn't the thing for me. It wasn't the thing that I felt passionate about doing yeah. when I was eight, going to school. But I did love reading. I did love music. So I think for myself, like we've discussed before, uh, what I learned in that part of life translates into this life at school in, in, in a different way, um, which allows me to see things a bit differently to to, to other people but um yeah yeah the ability to relate to your staff the ability to connect you with your staff and being self-disciplined enough to understand that uh, has, has been a really helpful thing in this role absolutely no i i think and you know what i i think it's good to reflect you'd be surprised there are so many school leaders i uh i work with when i go around the room who yes you have a lot of people who love school but there's also a lot of people I've found mm -hmm. who 
not just you know even didn't didn't really mind or it wasn't their passion but i find lots of school leaders who end up being great school leaders hate they hated school and the thing that actually drives them to come back is when they realize later in life at some point i want to make education and experience for kids like me like there's a lot of school leaders who were bullied at school and it always surprises me but they say and i always say to them you bring an empathy because you were bullied you are the sort of person who can actually look at a child in the eyes and say i know what i know what it's like yeah. and you're the sort of person who can come back mm-hmm. with that unique um passion for justice and to create a place and an environment where kids can feel safe that other people don't have and um yeah i have to admit it really surprised me the number of times i go around a group a leadership team and find that yeah yeah well i tell you what um i love doing as a school leader and um, as a teacher i loved it when i was a teacher so you know we're all shaped by our experiences in life and um I had wonderful years. I've just said I'd hated school. I also had some wonderful times in school as well. I had, And it, it comes down to those experiences and those individual teachers who are passionate about something. So I remember grade six, I had this great teacher. His name was Mr. Anderson. And I don't remember much that year from Mr. Anderson, except that he loved birds and he loved trees and he loved mathematics. He loved those things with a passion. So... <laughs> He would take our year six class out um, and we would go bird watching for half a day in the in the forest behind our school or we would go and identify trees and um, it was hilarious because you know suddenly because Mr Anderson was so passionate about these things this whole year six class was were passionate bird watchers and I remember for my 11th birthday getting uh, a book from my parents called you know, what bird is that? Which is basically an anthology so cool. of, um, of bird species because I love birds. Yeah. And we wrote a book as a class that year, which was called, <laughs> and so I still remember the name, it was called Endemic Endemic Tree Species of the Nashville State School um, <laughs> Swamp Area or something like that. <laughs> oh, and we so went on cool. this school excursion, which was, we went on this school excursion, which a tree identification excursion where we walked as a class through the swamp. And I just have this picture of being 11 years old and I'm neck deep in swamp water with my friends around me just looking at each other. There's not an adult in sight and we're smiling and it's just the greatest day of our lives. And we get back <laughs> to school and, and they, we sat down on the parade ground. They got the fire hose out and, and hosed us off and we dried out for the afternoon. Now, I remember that experience more than anything else in primary school. Mm. I still remember the book we wrote. I, I know the Latin names of the trees we identified. I remember how tall they were. I remember what the, the pictures looked like because it was such a rich, hands-on experience with someone who was passionate about what they did. And translate that to where are we now? I was 11, you know, 34 years later as an educator, what I love about what you can do in primary school with kids is, is things that our staff are passionate about putting kids in situations mm. where they get to create things, where they're, um, they're hands-on experiencing real things that are holistic. They're not just sitting there with a book in front of them doing their times tables. I mean, they need to do that as well, but that's not the, the start and finish of a maths education because most people are not going to do that 
when they're 25 years old, right? They're going to use maths in a real yeah. world um, situation, you know? They, they, they might have to order tiles with it because they're retiling their kitchen. Well, they need to know maths to know how to do that. That's, that's a real world application of maths. So if we can put experiences like that into primary classrooms, you're going to get a, a broader range of highly engaged children into learning. And that's the number one thing. If you want kids to learn, they need to be excited, they need to be engaged. And if their teacher's passionate about what they're doing in class, then you're already on a winner. That's such a wonderful story. That's um, That reminds me of another educator, Kevin Skio, who came on the podcast. He's Canadian and he talked about how his dad used to take him and his brother to, as we call in Australia, the tip, you know, to the junkyard because he loved finding things yep. people had thrown away and finding the potential in them. And now his place, uh, his dad's um, place in Canada is, uh, you know, cinematographers. I think he said even, um, you know, different uh, different people, of famous people have gone there when they're filming movies to to find um, old <laughs> sort of uh, from different, from different uh, years. But the thing that stuck with me from his story, which is what you just reminded me of, is that they were going through garbage effectively and yet it was one of his fondest memories. And I think the leadership lesson in that story and in your story about the swamp is that it comes down to the passion. It was the passion his dad had and it was the passion your teacher had and the relationships that he had with his dad and the relationship that you as a class had with that teacher that makes it such a memorable occasion. And I think for many of us, sometimes... Um, sometimes maybe maybe the leadership lesson <laughs> is, um, you know, find a way to lead with passion even through the swamp, you know, even through the garbage. Because if you can lead passionately through that, people can even look back and go, gee, uh, I remember being neck deep, ne- <laughs> neck deep in the swamp, so to speak, in 2022. <laughs> but I just, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it was really memorable. So that, that to me is such a powerful yeah. leadership lesson. That's an incredible story. Yeah, and, and it's been interesting. Hey, Jono, here we are in March 2022 and we're still neck deep in the swamp of yeah. you know, what started yeah. in March tw- uh, what, 2020. And, That's um, right. We, we, we were ankle deep that, then. That would be, <laughs> be over by Christmas. We're ankle deep though. That was going to be over <laughs> by Christmas and then 2021 right. and then... Um, Everything was going to be fine, and by Christmas time, we were going to be we we're going to be through it. And um, and then what was it? December ten happened, and then vaccination mandates came in, and then um, school started. What what are we doing, Queensland? We ended up starting two weeks, four weeks later. I kind of remember, and and the effect of being neck deep in the swamp for the last two years has, has had a massive well being effect on on school on schools on children, yeah absolutely on teachers and what we had to do with schools in in you know almost reconstructing everything about how we do education you know we got you know everything became really hard in in, in 2020 and um we had to start again a bit like back at the conservatorium we had to look at what we were doing and say this isn't working if we're ever going to get through this we're going to have to recreate this so um <laughs> what's it called the the um the lips a, part of trumpet interesting connection what's it what's it called <laughs> yeah oh the embouchure the embouchure of the trumpet i and, feel like um, it, it's, educators have had to relearn the embouchure of education in the past couple of years 
I think that's the perfect analogy. It's like everything you thought about education, you've had to, it's like, okay, try teaching these year two students from home, go. Um, it's just been, I think it's a great analogy. It's smart. Yeah, 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 exactly. Overnight. Um, I have so much respect for educators because that's a perfect, that is such a good analogy. It's like, you've had to, there's so much educators have had to relearn, um, it's been one of the professions that's been it's, it absolutely hard hit. And what do you and and, and what do you do? Uh, you, you're a school leader. You, you're seeing your staff go through it. It's traumatic. People are worried. People are getting COVID. Um, kids are sick. And 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 yet here we are, March 2020. We're still somewhat neck deep in the swamp, right? And um, I remember one of my staff. Can I just say, I, I hate that term, my staff, it's not my staff, one of our staff, we're a team. Um, back in 2020, and one of the meetings we had and and everything was changing and it was changing again and we, we had to do something. And I remember presenting to our staff and said, okay, we have to change this one thing and here's an idea. How about we do this? And this one staff member said to me that night, wrote me an email and said, Sorry, Jeremy, that was just a terrible idea. What that was just like having emotional whiplash. <laughs> it was like being pulled from this one thing to another thing. And I went, You're absolutely right. We, we, we don't have to have clever ideas and recreate things and be really smart all the time. Just you know, yes, we do, but we also need to have the absolute well being of our people at heart, firstly. And be really kind to them um, as you walk through what we've had to walk through, and yeah, we've had to 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 do to do that, and like you said, recreate the way we do so many things. Yeah, and um, and like I said before, we thought we'd be out of this by the end of twenty twenty, then the end of twenty twenty one, and here we are in March twenty twenty two, and I guess some things have relaxed. You know, what it was it a week ago? Masks came off, and suddenly we can. Um, teach again without masks on and we can have meetings again with each other face to face um, but the residue is still there there's still lots of people getting sick um, and it, it reminded me actually of you, you're familiar with good to great jim collins oh yeah one of my favorite Jono. books yeah i love it yeah and when i when i get to you know times like this and I can't tell you when coronavirus is going to go away. I can't tell you when anything's going to go back to normal. But I do love the Stockdale paradox. And um, I don't know if you've spoken about this on your podcast before, but um, Jim Stockdale, the um, US mm. Admiral, Admiral, who was in the Hanoi Hilton, who was tortured um, over his eight-year imprisonment, tortured over 20 times, and he had no idea when he was going to get out. And the story in in uh, Good to Great is around um, Jim Collins' conversation with Stockdale. And um, I've actually just got the book in front of me. I might just read it to you. Um, yeah, sure. When, when Jim Collins says to Stockdale, because Jim Stockdale got out. He got through it. He had no idea if he was ever going to get through it. He had absolute faith that he would. And so Stockdale says, sorry, Jim Collins says to Stockdale, who didn't make it out and Jim Collins says, sorry, Stockdale says, they're both called Jim. Stockdale says, oh, that's easy. He said, the optimists. The optimists? I don't understand. The optimists, Stockdale says, 
They're the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they say, we're going to be out by Easter and Easter would come and Easter would go. Mm. And then Thanksgiving and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. And uh, just reading here, another long pause, more walking. Then he turned to me and said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever that might be. And that's called the Stockdale Paradox, which is retaining faith that you will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, whilst at the same time confronting the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever that might be. And leading through a pandemic, leading in a school through this time has been exactly that. We don't know when we'll get through it, and the buck stops with us. You've just got to be disciplined to keep walking yeah. through it. And I guess in our context, in our Christian organization, knowing that God is on our side as we walk through it, as he promises. He doesn't say that we're going to always win, but mm. he'll, always, he'll always be there for us as we walk through difficult things. Absolutely. Yeah, well, what a wonderful point to... Uh... I, thank you for bringing that up. Such a great, uh, one of my favorite books and, and probably one of my favorite parts of that book. Mm. I love that story um, and definitely relevant during COVID. Well, Jeremy, I'd love to invite you back for part two because I we've had so much fun chatting. I've run out of time for Leadership Express. So I told you we might leave everyone yeah. hanging. So tune in to part two down the track. I'll have Jeremy back on and we'll we'll chat more and, and we'll go through Leadership Express, ask you a bunch of those questions, which I, I'll, uh, I'd love to ask you. But uh, for those who have really appreciated hearing your story, where can they find you online, LinkedIn, any, anywhere like that, find out about you and Genesis Christian College? Yeah, LinkedIn would be the best one. So I have a profile on LinkedIn, Jeremy Williamson, head of school primary at Genesis Christian College. Um, love to connect with anyone through there. Excellent. Well, thank you to our listeners. Today's been lots of fun. I loved the stories Jeremy's told. They've been brilliant. Uh, don't forget for our listeners, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast. So go and check those out if you are interested in growing as a leader. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Jeremy. It's been, like I said, your stories have been uh, wonderful, but but also just great to chat a bit more about your music Uh, which is something we personally haven't talked that much about. So that's something I've personally really enjoyed. And uh, there's been great wisdom in there for leaders to listen to. So thanks for coming on, Jeremy. Thanks, John. It's been a lot of fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. 
I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you 
to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.